Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. Good morning. Go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We'll get started here, there in just a second. Philippians chapter 2. Hang on a second. This is the first time I've ever brought my phone into the pulpit that I can remember. Did you know that every single person sitting in this room... On the earth today, every single person that's alive thinks differently. You have a personality type that is, that is innate to you. This past week, I, um, I took a personality test. It's called the Myers-Briggs test. Um, yeah, this thing's a little hot. Anyways, um, I took the Myers-Briggs test this past week. And it's a, it's a personality test that I've taken before, but, and it gave me the same results. I came back as an ENTJ. Probably don't know what that is unless you've taken the Myers-Briggs test. Basically, here's here's the ENTJ in a nutshell. Are you ready? I like to plan out everything months in advance. Yeah, that's true. Um, Let me just read you one part of it. That's why I brought my phone up here so I could read you. Here we go. You ready? While others may perceive you as an unfeeling juggernaut from time to time, the irony is that you actually do respect the people who know how to stand up to you and fight you on the logical rationales that you present as justifications for your plans. Does that sound like me? Shake your head like this. I'll tell you a story. Um, about, I guess it was six months into preacher training school. That's much better. Thank you. About six months into preacher's training school, I took a test on the book of Numbers. Now, the Numbers test at Memphis School of Preaching is notorious for being ridiculously hard. There's only one test that's more notorious at Memphis than the Numbers test, and that is the the Job test. And um, theory goes that not even Job could pass the test on his own book. But I took the Numbers test. I studied day in and day out for months because I had heard about this test. And the teacher of the test is a man by the name of Keith Mosier, Dr. Keith Mosier Sr., if you want his full, full name. He's the, the scary instructor at Memphis. Everybody, you know about Brother Mosier before you ever get there. And he's teaching the book of Numbers. So before I even got to the class, I was studying for the test. I got through the class I took the test on the book of Numbers, and I got a 67, and I was kind of mad. And on the test, Brother Mosier wrote something. You see, I, I had a valid reason for this. This is my rationale coming out. I studied all of the questions that I knew would be on the test, and I studied none of the memory work because I was still new at Memphis, and I didn't realize that uh, memory work's kind of important to my job, so... Anyways, I studied all the questions, and I didn't study any of the memory work. And Brother Mosier on that test wrote, you promised God, you promised this school, and you promised me that you would study while you're here at the Memphis School of Preaching. 
And that convicted me a lot. And so I went in after that day after class, and I, I walked in Brother Moser's office, and I knocked on the door, and it was open. He said, yes, and he was sitting with his back to the door. And I said, Brother Moser, I, just, I, I needed to talk to you about my, my numbers test. I'm, I'm very sorry for the way that I performed on that. Um, I, I will make it up, and I don't know how, but I will make it up to you. And he said, Brother Snow, that's how you talk at Memphis. You, you, have to, you only go by last names. It's like a secret society. Anyways, Brother Snow, and I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I wrote something on your paper, didn't I? I said, yes, sir. He said, why don't you follow it? And I said, well, I thought I was. And I walked out and slammed the door. This is an instructor at the Memphis School of Preaching who started teaching two years after he graduated. He's been teaching there since Moses went through that school. And after I walked out, I thought, yep, that's the end. I better go pack my bags. I'm done. That's the, I've got a 67 on a test. I just screamed at an instructor, slammed his door. I'm out of here. So that, that was a Wednesday night. Wednesday, I went to Bible class, and Brother Moser was sitting in front of me. And he turned around, and he said, Brother Snow? And I said, yes, sir. You need a blue and red tie for that suit. And I said, Brother Moser, I don't have a blue and red tie. And he said, here. He took his tie off and gave it to me. And I started just like, I wasn't going to let him see it, but I started crying. And he said, by the way, that was, a, that was an apology. You see, Brother Moser and I have the same personality. And that is, we like it when people stand up to us and say, listen, here's why you're wrong. Let's fix this. Every single person thinks differently. You cannot fix that. You have been created by God with your personality to think differently. The problem is that there are passages in the Scripture that seem to contradict that. And so a lot of people will reject religion completely simply because it, it is perceived to negate our individuality. That you can't be your own person and still be a Christian. And so I don't want to have anything to do with it. But this is, the, this is a statement by a uh, psychologist that I found this past week. His name is David Kahneman, and he said this, We do not see the world as it is, but we see the world according to our instruments. Our instruments are our, our faculties, our eyes, our, our ears. You think about the world in a different manner than I do because of your past, your upbringing, your experiences, your... your how's the 29-year-old preacher say this? Your age, okay? You, you think differently than I do. That's perfectly fine. But then you have passages like this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcoming of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of, of Christ and the subsequent glories. It's revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and all the things. So the Old Testament is written not for them, but more for us so that we can go back and look and understand who God is and how, 
how God got us here. Drop down to verse number 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So wait a second. The Old Testament prophets wrote books, 66 of them, to get us ready for something. What, what is that something? It's the revealing of, of, our, of our New Testament faith, of the, of the ability to believe and live in Jesus Christ, in the light of Jesus Christ. But then there's other verses that say things like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be of the same mind. How can I, as an individual who am an ENTJ, which just means, um, all right, I'm going to reason with you here. ENTJ means I like being in charge and I plan too much. How can I be myself and yet still be a Christian? Because the Bible says that we're to be of one mind. This month, we're going to be going over the same passages, the same topics, the same thoughts as the Phoenix City Church of Christ. And one of the reasons for that is for this sermon. How can one congregation on one side of town and another congregation on the other side of town be of one mind? How can churches all over the world be of one mind and yet we live in drastically different societies. Phoenix City and Columbus are not that much different. But if you think about it, our brethren today are worshiping in places like Singapore, like North Korea, like China, like Russia, like the UK. Drastically different societies who think differently about things. I mean, just take, for instance, our society and the society of the first century. Do you know that in the first century, their, their thinking, their thought processes on raising children were drastically different than our thought processes on raising children? Just 50 years ago, you, some of you might have grown up during the time when children were better seen than heard. Y'all ever heard that? I remember my great-grandma... I called her my mini memo. Used to get on to my mom all the time because Lee just keeps talking. When I grew up, kids were better seen than heard, right? How can we be of the same mind and yet think differently about things? Well, here's the catch. Philippians chapter 2 gives us the reason for this. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full, in full accord, and of one mind. See, we're not talking about thinking differently about things. You see, it, those of you who are English people might have noticed that that is a mistake. 
right? Thinking different is not correct because you need an adverb to go there, not an adjective. But the catch is that we're not talking about thinking differently. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that we get rid of our individual personalities and individual thought processes and and how we think about things. What it does say is that what we think changes. We all come to the same conclusion, but but we think differently about it. For instance, one person, one person may, during the Lord's Supper, think about the physical, the physical pain, the, the physical tor- torture that Jesus Christ went through on the cross. And the person sitting right next to them in the pew may not be thinking about the physical torture at all, but they may be thinking about the phrase, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which has nothing to do with the physical and everything to do with the spiritual. One person thinks about the scourging and the pain of being on a cross. And the other person is thinking about the, the, the emotional pain of being God in the flesh and yet being crucified by your own creature. See, we think differently, but we're of the same mind. Now, Philippians 2 is going to break this down even more so. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped. What that means, it, people take this verse and, and try to say that Jesus wasn't God. A thing to be grasped can be best described as this. God, Jesus, who is God, did not think during the time when he's on the cross that holding on to the fact that he was God was going to benefit him. We sing the song, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. Y'all ever heard that song before? He could have called 10,000 angels. Okay. That's, he, he didn't think it's something to be grasped. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have held on to the fact that he is God Almighty, and he could have said, enough is enough. My creation will not kill me. But he let that go because he knew that the the reason for him letting it go was more important than his own physical well-being. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." See, we don't think differently. We don't don't try to change our personalities. We don't try to conform to one another to become the same person. But we think about the same things. See, there is no way that you can read the New Testament 
and miss the glaring fact that Christians in the new in the in the new church, this new this new system of of religion, this new system of worship, this new system of becoming closer to God. There's no way you can read that New Testament honestly and miss the importance of unity among people who are different. Acts chapter 10. You have this this glaring problem. What are we going to do about the Gentiles? Peter doesn't want to have anything to do with Gentiles. And yet he receives a vision that says, go to Cornelius. He says, "Uh -uh, no, 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 God, Uh, that's not going to happen. I've never let anything unclean touch my lips. I am not going to go to the Gentiles and teach them the gospel. They're unclean. And God says, what I've called clean, you don't call unclean. And so from that moment on, after Peter gets there, teaches Cornelius, his whole family is baptized. From that moment on, you have drastically different thought processes existing in the same church. And they're still of one mind. Romans chapter 14. They think differently about meat. Christians don't want to have anything to do with meat that is offered to idols. And in that time period, you're really not going to find any meat unless you grow it yourself that isn't offered to idols. If you go to the marketplace, it's called the Agora. If you go to the marketplace, all the meat there has been offered to idols. What they do is what they did was they took the lamb or they took the goat or something and they they offered it to the god of blank and then they'd take that meat and they'd take it down the hill to to the marketplace and sell it. And a person who was once a Jew that is now a Christian doesn't want to have anything to do with that because all he can think about is what happened to that meat beforehand. The prayers that were prayed over it, where the blood was put on the altar to this this fake, false God that's leading people by the thousands, by the millions into torments. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that. And the Gentile, who is now a Christian, says, it looks like a goat to me. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I can prove it to you too. I'm waiting for the first frost because at the first frost, you know what happens, right? It's me versus the squirrels. When y'all eat a squirrel, some of you might think of how beautiful and cute the little creature is and it scurries along and it runs up the tree. What I think about is dumplings. That's about it. I drive through the yards or drive through the neighborhoods and I see all these squirrels and I think, man, alive. If it were just not illegal to shoot a gun in the city limits, me and Rebecca and I would never, never want for dumplings for the rest of our life. We think, we think differently. But we can be of the same mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one... Let each of you, sorry, look not at his own interest, but at the interest of others. You see, this doesn't take away our individuality. It, it actually enhances it. This, this being of the same mind, this one-mindedness that is in Christianity, does not take away your individuality. It enhances it. Because you and the person sitting next to you are different. You think differently and yet, you can use that to help each other. You can use that to benefit off of one another and see things from other perspectives. 
You know the most dangerous thing for a Christian in his faith is to never read, listen to, study, pay attention to something that is said by someone who he disagrees with or is said about something he disagrees. What I mean by that is if you're a Christian and you never pay attention to what the world says about this verse or about that concept or about this part or that part, if all you do, if all you do is only pay attention to people that you agree with, the problem is you will draw your circle so small that you will exclude every other person outside the church, inside the church, in your family, in your friends, everyone. If you only pay attention to people that you agree with, I guarantee you, you and I are going to disagree about something. And if all you do is pay attention to people who agree with you, you're putting yourself in tremendous danger. You see, what Philippians 2 is talking about is this humility that leads to the oneness of mind and this unity that comes from this humility. You see, when you, when you take on true humility, you grow closer to your fellow Christians, and by doing that, you grow closer to God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, if we become united in in, in in mind, one, one of, in one mind with Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter the small disagreements that we have among brethren. There's a disagreement recorded in the book of Acts that is, if you ask me, which I, again, going back to that personality test, um, I think is a little pointless. If you really push me, I think both of the people who are involved in the disagreement are being a little childish. I can see where they're coming from, but I, I, don't, I don't think that the outcome was worth the argument. You see, Paul, the apostle, and Peter, the apostle, trying to figure out where to go next. And they get in a fight over one man who gave up. Listen, at the time of Mark's giving up, John Mark's giving up, we don't know how old he was, but chances are he wasn't, he wasn't mature enough to be going. That's why he gave up. No man, having put his hand to the pot and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God because you're not mature enough. Mark just wasn't mature enough yet. And he went home. And then Peter and Paul have an argument about it, so much so that they split. Paul and Barnabas, sorry. Paul and Barnabas split because of it. They thought differently about this man. But they didn't come to one mind. And that difference, that small, insignificant, who really cares if Mark is, is going to do a good job? Take him with you anyways. If he goes back, you had two weeks of good work from him. But they let it split them because they weren't being of one mind. Now, back to Philippians chapter 2. 
it doesn't take away our individuality. It actually enhances it because Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, first off, what does it mean to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Does that mean you come up with your own means? No. He's been talking about the fact that humility is the means by which God makes you more like Jesus Christ. And so it's not, it's not the pride of, I have found my way to get to heaven. It's the, it's the humility of, I have to work things out that you don't have to work out. You know, every person is different. We all have our different personalities. Every person has their own temptations as well. Their own differences of, of what you deal with and what I deal with. Some of you, I've ridden with you. You drive down Veterans Parkway, and you are the calmest human beings that I have ever seen. And I just think, how? That guy just cut you off, and that guy, he's going like four miles. What's wrong with him? We have differences of, of temptations. And yet, and yet we're still supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, which means... That, that you do what you need to get to the one mind, and I do what I need to get to the one mind, and we help each other along the way. Acknowledging the differences in individuals does not, does not negate our, 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 our individuality. It enhances it because we help each other. We build each other up. We get to the point where, as, as the rest of this verse says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I have a question. What does it mean to will and to work for his good pleasure? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You're our potter. We are the work of your hand. God is doing something in the lives, in the hearts, in the faith of every single Christian on this earth. And he works in... He gets you there by different means. That doesn't mean that we do different things. This morning in Bible class, I mentioned this old, and it's somewhat of a joke, but it's, but it's actually pretty serious and pretty true. You ought to never pray for patience. You know why? God is going to teach you patience. He's not going to just snap his fingers and now you're a patient person. He's going to teach you patience. Which means, if you pray for patience and you're driving down veterans, every single one of those soccer moms are going to cut you off. Because he's going to teach you patience. You see, he's building in us. He's molding us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that we're being renewed day by day. That he is building us. He's recreating us. Day by day, he's making us stronger. He's forming us into exactly the, what, the way he wants us to be. So this is something that God does in us. But at the same time, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Back in Philippians 2, when he says to will and to work, the word work is the word energeo. It means that he is the source of our energy. The word work in Philippians 2 is actually... Uh, better translated, energetic work. That he's going to give us energy. 
Have you ever, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever felt as if um, you just really weren't into it that day? You ever felt like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to church today because I just, I just don't feel, I just don't feel like I'm up to it. I'm kind of tired and I'm just kind of maybe a little bit depressed and I just don't feel like I should go because I just don't, I don't know. That's a lack of energeo. You see, God is the source of our energy. And so if you're in that point, if you're in that, that stage where you just don't feel like it, there's only one option. Philippians chapter 2. Submit yourself in humility. Get closer to God. And if someone says, well, I don't go to church because I just don't feel like it. Good. That's exactly where you need to be then. If you don't feel like going to church, you don't feel like being around the brethren, if you don't feel like reading your Bible, you don't feel like praying that day, you don't feel like doing all those things, whatever it is that is religious in nature, spiritual in nature, that you don't feel like doing, stop right then and do it. Immediately. I, don't, I just don't feel like praying today. Good. Stop. Pray. Right now. Because the only way to get past that is to get closer to him. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, this humility, this bringing together. He is willing, he's, he's creating us to will and to work his good pleasure. He's giving us the energy to keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there were a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The way to get past that is to search for the source of energy, which is God. All right, I'll, I'll leave you with these last two verses. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's pleasing in the sight of God. Whatever God is doing in us, whatever God is, however he's molding us into this, this new creature that's talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, he's doing it through humility because we have to allow him. Did you know that God will not do anything for you that you can do for yourself? Period. Someone says, well, I prayed for a Ferrari and I didn't get a Ferrari. Well, that's because you didn't work hard enough. Eventually, you get enough money, guess what you can do? You can go buy a Ferrari. God's not going to do anything for you that you can do for yourself. But he will fill in the gaps. When you, can't make it, when you can't make it, when you can't fill that gap in, when you can't do it, that's when God steps in. So here's, here's the catch. Here's the catch. We're not meant to think differently. We are meant, sorry, we're not meant to, to, to control this aspect of us thinking differently. We're supposed to be individuals. We're supposed to be of the one mind. And Philippians says that that one mind is one word, humility. And by humility, God creates in us, He builds us, He forms us, He molds us into what He wants us to be. And what He wants us to be, have you ever heard anyone say that God has a plan for my life? Shake your head like this. You ever heard that before? He does. God has a plan for every single person's life. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If we use our individuality to help us, to, to humble us, to be of one mind, then by getting closer to each other, we get closer to God. And when we get closer to God, we have fulfilled his plan for every single one of our lives. And that is, the only thing that God has on his mind, he doesn't, he's not worried about which job you take. He's not necessarily, he's not worried about which car you drive. He's not worried about what vacation you take or, or anything else. The only thing on God's mind is how can I help him or her through my word and through providence to get back to me? That's it. We can think differently and still be of the same mind. But what it takes is humility and willingness to allow God to change us. What it takes is, um, well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. See, we may think differently, but, but we can all think about those things. We can all focus on what is honorable and true and pure and just and righteous. And we may, we may like the Lord's Supper. We may sit down and one of us be thinking about the physical and the other one be thinking about the spiritual sacrifice that was given. But we can still think about the same thing. We can still be of one mind. No one is ever saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to give up your individuality. What the Bible says is in order to be a Christian, you have to, you have to humble yourself to know that even though you think differently about things, your end game, your end result has to be the same thing that Jesus Christ thought about and the same thing that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. Whatever is just, honorable, pure, holy, those are the things that we come to in the end. That means that we have a unity of mind about the scriptures and about the church and about the sacrifice that Jesus gave and about about what God deserves from us. We can be of one mind and still be individuals. We can be united and still be our own people. If you need to become a Christian this morning and become part of the church, Acts chapter four and verse, or sorry, Acts chapter two and verse forty-seven says that the only way a person can become a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the part, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, is to be saved. Romans chapter eight says that the only way to be saved is to be in Christ. Romans eight and verse one. Galatians chapter three verse twenty-seven says the only way to be in Christ is to be baptized. And Mark chapter 16 says that the only way to be baptized is to believe. We can put you underwater a thousand times. But if you, don't, if you don't believe that book that's in your hand or in the pew in front of you, if you don't believe what the Bible teaches about salvation, about Jesus Christ, about the sacrifice, about the new life that you're going to have to live, if you don't believe those things, there's no point in being baptized. If you believe them, you're willing to be baptized then you can be put into Christ where there is salvation, Romans 8 and verse 1. And then he'll add you to the church, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. 
If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.